chapter 10 and the story of blind Bartimaeus. Uh, I was in London yesterday speaking at a conference and it was just so encouraging for Premier Radio to have more than 500 people just crammed into Bloomsbury Baptist Church uh, and it was just a really, really good day in lots of ways. But uh, I have to confess uh, to a certain bias um, in that after I did my, my own session, I was surrounded by a number of people wanting to ask questions, and particularly uh, people from a Caribbean or African background, and they were just great, great, great people, uh, and had lots of questions and lots of things to say. But I was particularly struck by one young boy, probably the youngest person there, I think he was 13 years old, and his mom and dad said he's got a question to ask you. And he said, I go to school and none of my friends believe in God. What can I tell them? And it was just such a really good question. I was very impressed with the guy. I had a good chat with him. And we talked for a while about what a testimony is. And I think that that is one of the great ways that people are introduced to Jesus. Because we have to tell them who Jesus is. But it's also important that people see that it's real for us. And I think what you've got here in Mark's gospel from verse 46 onwards, the story of blind Bartimaeus. Uh, Can you imagine if you were Bartimaeus and after the uh, resurrection of Jesus and after Jesus' ascension, that's quite some story to be able to go and tell people. There's some indication that Bartimaeus was actually very well known in the early church. And this is his story, and I just want us to look at it, and I think it's a story that should give us great encouragement for people who, in many ways, people who are spiritually blind, but people who are faced with many, many difficulties, how Jesus comes and works in his life. And as John says in his own gospel, these stories are written that you may believe, and that by believing you may have life. So let's look at this story uh, briefly this evening. It's on the road to Jericho, verse 46, that's what it tells us. Jericho was only about 15 miles from Jerusalem. And the main road went right through the middle of the city. Jesus was on his way to the Passover feast. And when uh, a rabbi, and Jesus was considered to be a teacher, a teacher was on his way to the Passover feast, then a crowd would go along with him and he would teach them on the way. So... Let's say uh, we were going to St. Andrews and for a feast there and you guys all wanted to come, then we would walk and we would talk uh, as we did that. It was a law that every male over 12 years old within 15 miles of Jerusalem should attend the Passover. Those who weren't able to go, and I'm assuming also the, the women and others, would line the streets and bless the pilgrims on their way. There were actually 20,000 priests associated with the temple, and of course not all of them were needed, except at Passover, and many of them actually lived in Jericho, and they commuted from Jericho. Now it's in that context that Jesus is walking together with a very large crowd. And they'd gone through the city, and they were leaving the city. Verse 46 says, 
that there was a blind man, Bartimaeus, who was sitting by the roadside begging. Bartimaeus just means the son of, uh, the son of Timaeus. The blind in that culture could only get help by begging. It was considered righteous to help blind beggars, and this man probably would have made a living in such a wealthy place as Jericho. And he comes and he asks Jesus a couple of things. Verse 47, he asks, first of all, for Jesus to have mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he shouted. He didn't whisper it. He shouted it. It's kind of embarrassing if you were his friends. Probably embarrassing for the crowd, which is why in verse 48, they rebuked him and told him to be quiet. And also for the disciples, completely intriguing. By definition, this man hadn't seen any of the miracles. And yet, he called out to Jesus. Somehow he knew that Jesus was the son of David, which was a title for the coming Messiah. He couldn't see him, obviously. He hadn't seen any of the miracles. All that had happened to him is he must have heard. He must have heard something that Jesus had done. He must have heard of some of the things that Jesus was teaching. And because of that, he was prepared to make what some would call a spectacle of himself and to cry out to Jesus to have mercy. And I think that that is a great definition of what faith is. We don't see but we're not blind in that sense either. We have an awareness of who Jesus is and we call out to him to help us. And I think when we are, if you're a Christian and you're presenting the gospel to someone and you're asking them to have faith, never ask them to have faith unless you tell them who to have faith in. Verse 22 of chapter 11, Jesus says, have faith in God. We have the reports of Jesus We have the accounts of his miracles. We have the reports of his power and glory. We too have his promises. And faith is, ultimately, it is leaning on God. It is leaning on the Savior's word. And we need a lot more people who are crying out to God to have mercy. We need people, we need the Holy Spirit to come. To convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment to come. We need to encourage people and to help people to pray. I don't believe that any single person who prays for Jesus to have mercy on them is somebody who Jesus turns away. All who come to me, says Jesus, will find rest. All who come to him. So what we have to do is so present Jesus Christ that people will want to come to him and will want to receive his mercy. His second request is in verse 51. I mean, there is opposition to him. Um, he, Jesus stops and says, call him in the middle of the crowd. They say to the blind man, we don't get this, cheer up. He's telling you, on your feet, he's calling you. And he throws his cloak aside, he jumps to his feet and he, he comes to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. I think I notice in this man a real 
determination. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he was really determined. He shouts, he throws away his cloak, and he runs to Jesus. I think, again, we need to encourage people, and maybe you're in this position. Maybe you're somebody who's curious about Christianity. Maybe you're somebody who is beginning to seek, beginning to inquire. And all of a sudden, because you're beginning to get serious about God, your friends and your family and others want to put you off. Be quiet. Don't be so intense. Don't be so serious. Don't be so religious. Don't get so wound up about it. Take it easy. You're becoming a fanatic. But he was absolutely determined to keep after Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said that once you begin to grasp who, the, who he is and what the kingdom of God is, he says the kingdom of God is like a man who goes out into a field and finds a treasure. And he, because the treasure is in that field, he buys the whole field. We sometimes present Christianity in a take it or leave it kind of manner. Because we don't want to appear fanatical and we don't want to appear as though we're telling people what they must do. But we do need to be deadly earnest with people and, and just say to them, look, Jesus is so worth having that you, you, you need this kind of holy determination. Of course, Bartimaeus was determined because he was desperate, because he knew his need, because he really wanted to see. We have a real problem the conference yesterday was what we call an apologetics conference, and I don't really like the word apologetics because it sounds as though you're saying sorry for being a Christian, apologizing, or it sounds as though you, um, you have to be mega brainy to discuss all the big issues that people have. But the bottom line is what uh, a couple of you here were at the Atheist Society when I last spoke there. And you'll remember the president standing up and after John Ellis had given just a fantastic presentation on the evidence for God. The president stood up and he said, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but basically he said, I don't care what evidence you give me. Even if you could convince me that God existed, I wouldn't worship him. I'd refuse to worship him. The greatest need that people have is not... I mean, I think it's important to do this. I think it's important to discuss with people. I think it's important to answer questions. I think it's important to provoke people. But the greatest need that people have is actually to see their own need. They need to grasp that they need Jesus. Why are most people in Dundee not worshipping this evening? Because they don't see any need. What's the point? There's no, there's no need for them. If that's what you want, if that's what you need, if that's what you like to do, fair enough. That's what most people will say. But they don't see that they have a need. We're going to sing uh, Amazing Grace in a, in a moment. I once was blind, said Newton, but now I see. Until we realize that we are spiritually blind, we'll never seek after God. The biggest problem that we have are just are people who think that they can see, and because they think that they can see, something that they don't see, like God, they say cannot exist. 
And we need to pray that the Holy Spirit will come so that people will be convicted of their need. Because for this man, for Bartimaeus, it wasn't just a wishful thought, but it was a desperate desire. And it's a desire to which Jesus responds. Jesus calls him. Now he uses others. He says, go tell him. Call him. Go and, go and tell that man to come here. And it's, I hope it's not taking it too far, but I would want to say this. I, I do actually think that there are people in this city tonight who are in pretty desperate need and know that they're in desperate need. And they're asking God to help them. And we're being told, go call them. I think when we are presenting the gospel to people, it is the call of God. It is the call of Jesus to come. And we need to think and pray, if we're Christians, we need to think and pray very, very carefully about how we can communicate and share this gospel. Now, you'll note also that there was an immediate response to the call of Jesus. He didn't wait. He... um, threw his cloak aside, and that would be the cloak, if you see the beggars, his his cloak there to collect the money. He just threw it aside, and he just ran to Jesus. He went straight to him. Obviously, he knew where he was in terms of his voice. Sometimes you only get one chance. Sometimes you have to seize the moment. Sometimes you just know that it is at that point that you must believe and follow Christ. And again, when we present the gospel, can can I ask this? You don't try and convert people yourself. You can't. You can't convert. I can't convert anybody. But when we present the gospel, I think it's very important for us to realize how serious it is and to indicate to people that it is their decision that when they hear the gospel, they respond. And they they will respond. One way they'll respond in rejecting or they'll respond in accepting. We, We have to urge upon people the urgency of following and serving Christ. Sometimes people may have a desire to follow Jesus, or they think they do, but they don't act upon it, and then the moment is gone. I think also it's important here that this man, he left his winter clothing and his summer bed. Perhaps also his begging bowl. It was what he had. He left it to follow Jesus, forsaking his dependence on anything else, and trusting only Christ. One of the biggest blocks that we have to following Jesus is we hang on to the little that we've got because we don't even want to lose that. And the problem with that is simply this, that if you, you want to save your life, you hold on to what you have, you will lose your soul. But if you give everything that you have and everything that you are to Jesus Christ... You gain. That's why Jesus said it's actually harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because in one sense, he's got a lot more to give up. Forsaking his dependence on anything else and anyone else, he trusted only Jesus Christ. And again, if you're not a Christian, that's what you need to do. And if you are a Christian, when you're communicating the gospel, please do not present Jesus as one of many options which people can add to. Or pick and choose as they like. People are Christless, they are hopeless, and they need no one or nothing else but Christ. 
And then I love in this the, the whole idea of the willingness of Jesus to save. This man was very determined to be saved. But Jesus was even more determined to save him. What do you want me to do for you? I think um, if you went earlier in the chapter, there's a request of James and John. Jesus' followers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. We want you to do whatever we ask you to. Jesus comes to this man, this person who's not one of his disciples as yet, and says, what do you want me to do for you? Not, it's not someone coming and making a demand. It's, it's, it's Christ coming and saying, what do you want? And the man is indicating what he wants. And again, I think we have to be very, very careful in our attitude towards Jesus Christ. I think Rob Bell in his book, Love Wins, I honestly think this, I think it is a, an incredibly dangerous book because it says some incredibly attractive things and some very good biblical things. But to me, it negates the gospel because it takes away the teaching of Jesus Christ, really, about people being lost. I really do think it does that. But in response to that, Sometimes I find people who, who swing the other way and almost go the opposite extreme and have this impression of Jesus. Rob Bell's position is Jesus is so willing to save and so powerful that everyone gets saved. I think biblically that's wrong. But the opposite extreme is what some people go to, which is actually Jesus is not all that willing to save. And it's kind of really tough and very few people get through. How you reconcile this with the sovereignty of God, I'm not sure. But I know that when I read the Bible, I see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, and he really meant it. I know that I see Jesus looking at the rich young ruler and loving him, and yet challenging him to give up everything he had to follow Christ. And the man went away sad, and I think Jesus went away sad. We think, some of us think, that we have more willingness to have people saved than Jesus does. And I just don't believe that. I don't believe that that is true. We have a willing Savior. We've been saying that. Beautiful Savior. Wonderful Counselor. And I, I think it's just wrong for us to look upon our fellow Dundonians or for Farians or Kirimurians or whatever it is and just say, ah, God doesn't really want to save them and they don't really want to be saved. Shrug my shoulders, get on with my life. The willingness of Christ to save is shown, of course, by what he did on the cross. But we have to apply that in our own context. And then verse 52, it's this, your faith, go, he said, your faith has healed you. Now, his faith was pretty limited. He knew the Messiah would be the one who would heal the blind. Isaiah 35, verse 5. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. He called Jesus the son of David, which indicates that he had some awareness of the Jewish hope of the Messiah coming. But there were lots and lots of things about Jesus he did not know. I doubt he really knew about the cross. 
I doubt he knew about the Trinity. But with what he knew, he knew enough to call to Christ. Though you have not seen him, says Peter, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Without being able to define it all, without being able to pass a class in systematic theology, this man was willing to entrust his whole life to Jesus as Savior. And again, I just think that that we need a greater understanding. Becoming a Christian is not the end of the, the deal. Becoming a Christian is just the beginning. We've become disciples. We are continually being taught. We're continually walking on that road with Jesus as he's teaching us and telling us. But you don't have to know it all before you become a Christian. I sometimes think we present Christianity as a package deal that people go through a course and they learn and then they tick all the boxes, they sign on the dotted line. But there are people who've been learning about Jesus in this church as well for years. And they've never ever, as as the old Puritans said, they've never closed with Christ. They've never given their lives to Christ. And there are other people who come in and they hardly know a thing about Jesus. And they first hear about him and they go, that's what I want. That's who I want. And they have to be taught and they have to, and so on. But they've, they've become Christians. And this man received his sight. He didn't go home. Look what he did. He followed Jesus. He received his sight. He followed Jesus along the road. I think there is a contrast there, actually, because as Jesus had headed out along that road, the disciples were reluctant to go with him because they did fear what it would involve. They did fear that it would involve an attack on Jesus and the death of Jesus and a deliberate provocation of the Pharisees. But this man, by the grace of Christ immediately becomes his follower. Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he said, Lord, I'm going with you. Where you lead, I'm going. What you give to me, I will take. And again, that's what we are calling people to. We are calling people to a wholehearted following of the real Jesus. We're not calling people to religion We're not calling people to church membership. We're not calling people, try this out and see what it's like. We're telling them that there is someone who is so wonderful that he's worth giving up everything to follow. And that's the basic pattern. Recognition of need, faith in Christ, gratitude, and then loyalty to him. Moving from sitting at the edge of the road, moving from being an observer and a spectator. Uh, I, I love this church in, in so many different ways. And one of the things I love about it, and I'm, I'm talking about the people, is that it's relatively easy for a non-Christian to come in, not to be pressurized, to hear God's word and so on. And, and say, that's great, good, I like that, I like that. But you can't always sit as a spectator. You have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. You might be at the edge of the road. You've got to get up go to the middle of the road and follow Jesus. You have to ask the Lord to help you to see. He said, your faith has healed you. Not blind faith, not, um, it's ironic saying that about a blind man, isn't it? Not blind faith, but it wasn't. It was the faith of a blind man, but it certainly wasn't blind faith. Not wishful thinking, 
but just a complete and absolute trust in Jesus Christ. And that's the great thing, I think, about presenting the gospel, because we're not presenting a system, and so people don't have to go through all that. I mean, have you, no, I'm sure you haven't tried this, but have any of you ever thought of trying to become a Scientologist? Do you know how much it costs you? And, and, and how many courses you actually have to do before you even get to the, whatever it is, theta level, or, or whatever, you, near Tom Cruise, or, or, or whatever it is. That is... People think that that's what we're doing. I, was, I read a review of somebody who visited a church, and it did strike me. He said, everything that was an offer in the church, all the courses, everything else, said they all cost money. Even the coffee at the back we had to pay for. Now, the coffee here is free, and the courses are free, and the gospel is free. That is very, very, very important. We need to communicate that gospel to people. As I say, some of you are, maybe you're only beginning to recognize that you're blind. I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't get it. You don't see it and you don't get it because you're blind. And you need to ask the Lord to open your eyes. And for those of you who do see, who have got some understanding, but your vision is a little bit blurred. It's, you don't see Christ as clearly as you'd like to or Christ as clearly as you'd want to and therefore your faith is an awful lot weaker. You need to pray that you would, that prayer also, Lord, I want to see Jesus. We get in the way. Preachers get in the way. Musicians get in the way. We, we so, so many of us get in the way. We need to just take people back to this thing. There is a man who told me everything I ever had done. There is a man who died for us. There is a man who was the most wonderful man in the world. And we need to encourage and extol people to look for Christ. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.